0: Just ask them a couple of questions. Be like, how did you get to that thought? Be like, okay, let's unpack that a little bit and uh, help you figure out how to reframe it in a way that's uh, more logical.
1: Welcome to Transforming the Toddler Years, a core for parenting podcast, blending soul and science-based strategies to empower pandemic moms like you raising kindergarten-ready kids. I'm Cara Terrell. Your host, a lifetime lover of littles, girl mom, early childhood educator, and conscious parenting coach who truly believes that how we connect and collaborate with our kids in the first five years is how we raise world-ready kids who will change this world. Today's guest is really unique. She's a children's book author who lifts up her voice to support families to raise anti-racist kids as we bring up our next generation to not see color, but just see people. I'm going to let her tell her story because she does it so much better than I do. But this is a really important episode about being a human being and raising human beings into really good people who will always give everybody a chance without judgment. So I hope you get as much out of this as I did and enjoy. My guest today is Temi Ademalekin, and she is here to share with us the power of our voice. And we know here at Core 4 Parenting, how important it is to have open communication with everybody in our lives but especially our kids and tell me you used your voice to lift up other children's thank you for being here we can't wait to learn from you thanks for having
0: me I'm looking forward to our conversation
1: so tell us a little bit about you and what really led you because I this this book that you wrote is a children's book and we're going to talk about that and we're going to put it in the context of kids but Really, it's an identity statement. And so tell us a little bit about you and your journey to being so self-aware that you knew you needed to make this statement.
0: Okay, thanks for that. So I'm from Nigeria and I grew up in England and I live in California. So I definitely consider myself a true global citizen because I've lived in three different continents and I can speak comfortably and fluidly in the vernacular of those particular cultures and continents, which I've realized over time is quite a unique skill set. So in terms of how the book, I've always loved reading. So in terms of how the book came about, um, I've always loved the idea of writing a book at some point in time. And when my older niece, who's now 17, was little, I'd read to her a lot and I was like, oh my God, children's books are magical. I remember loving children's books as a child and then just being reintroduced to children's books through her. And then I had my son, who's uh, nine. And then obviously, then I was doing a lot of reading with him. And I started reading with him when he was six months old, you know, with the board books and just like reading really simple stories to him. And he just loved that experience of just having the focused attention, looking at the pictures. And then this particular book, it was quite an interesting story in terms of how it came about. So uh, the murder of George Floyd was the catalyst for how this book actually ended up coming about. The week that George Floyd was murdered, there's a group of mums that are based in New York, but they've got a national network called Hey Mama. And I'd met them the year before when they came to San Francisco just to meet some, you know, well-connected mums in San Francisco that could, you know, just work with them as ambassadors. And the week that George Floyd was murdered, they reached out, they were putting together a panel to talk about white privilege in the context of children. And they asked me if I'd be willing to speak on the panel. And I was like, yes, definitely. Because I think like so many people around the world and across the country, we were all in a state of shock. It was early pandemic days. Everyone's very much at home. And we were all in a state of shock when it happened. Not shocking that it happened because we know it happened, but the fact that it was so long, because it was eight minutes and 42 seconds, I believe, which is a really long time. And so when they asked me to speak on the panel, I was like, yeah, this is an opportunity for me to use my voice and just speak what I know to be the truth as I see it and as I've experienced it. And I think, again, as I mentioned, three different continents gives me a very unique perspective on where America is today. And the other women on the panel, they had Lucy that was um, in the process of becoming the DA for New York, I believe. And they had Jodie Patterson, who's a prolific activist who I knew already and love her dearly. And they had the two founders of the Women's March so it's quite a strong panel and I was the regular everyday mom. <laughs> and because it was so early on in the pandemic and given the nature of the conversation, we had about two, 3000 people tune in on zoom. That was a lot of people. Like we didn't realize when we set this whole thing up, we we're going to have so many people tune in. And there was one particular story that I shared about, you know, being in the locker room in a gym and a five-year-old girl asking her mom, if I worked in the gym and how I responded to that and that particular story set the chat box on fire. Like we could all see, like when I shared that story, the chat boxes went on fire. Everyone's asking so many questions because I think it was so casual and so relatable. A lot of people could see that they could be in a situation like that, which gave them great concern. How do I prevent my kid being the kid that says something like that? Um, So I did that. And then I wrote a piece for Mother Magazine called Raising a Black Son. And just how it's different raising a black son in America compared to the UK. So some context, I have a law degree and my thesis was actually on discrimination within the police force with regards to the stop and search policy. So I've been very interested in this for a really long time. The main difference with the police force in America and in the UK is in the, in America, the police aren't and woefully undertrained and they're just not skilled enough to be able to de-escalate a situation. So you have so many examples, Uh, the police shooting a black man within 10 seconds. It's usually so fast and it's multiple shots fired. And they're clearly not even trying to de-escalate a situation before they've even had a conversation nine times out of 10. That piece ended up, going viral in Mother Magazine. Then I got asked to write a piece for Cupcakes and Kashmir. And I wrote about the importance of choosing books for children that have black protagonists because you can't only speak about race in the context of slavery or MLK Day because then you are framing it as an issue. And you have to just normalize black people doing everyday things but other black children doing everyday things. And I spoke about, in that piece, I spoke about several books that we love, um, like Jabari Jumps, um, this is how we do it. Is another one that I really love, and then we've got this like great like graphic novel called Akisi, which is great for older children. That ended up being viral as well to a lot of people who hadn't really like thought about it that way. So that was interesting. And then I got a call from ABC to join them on the lunchtime news because they wanted to just learn more about my thoughts and my views on anti-racist parenting. And that was utterly nerve-wracking. I did it on Zoom, but still you're in the green room, you've got a producer talking to you and you've got like all these different voices going on. You're like, what's happening? And then suddenly it's like, three, two, one, live. <laughs> uh... and then that, I got a DM on Instagram from a lovely woman who's turned out to be my book editor. She's like, Tammy, you know, I saw you on the panel um, about a month ago and I've read everything you've written since. I love the way you speak about race because you make it really accessible and really actionable as a mom of young children. And I just wondered if you've ever thought about writing a children's book. And I was like, yes, I have. I have three ideas. Can we get on the phone today? Um, and we did, and uh, one of the ideas became this. Your Special Voice.
1: That's the name of that book. Amazing. Wow, what a story. And I mean, the tapestry of experiences that you weave and then the knowledge base that you bring, there's, there's just so much there. Um, we will definitely get back to the book but you dug deep into a few things that I want to bring out. People, specifically moms in the conscious parenting world right now are very clear that they want to raise anti-racist children. It's just happening that we want that. Now wanting to do something and knowing how to do something are two very different things. <laughs> so Help us understand why it matters so much that we do it in the early, early years of their life.
0: That's a great question. So thanks for framing it that way. That's also why I chose to write a board book for the earliest readers, because that's very much the goal, to introduce this conversation as early as humanly possible. And I think the real value of introducing the conversation early is that it's never difficult The earlier you introduce the conversation, the easier it is because it's just part of your family's conversation. It's just part of your vernacular. It's never an issue. It's never perceived as something that's difficult. It's not made difficult for children. Nothing's difficult. Adults make it difficult. Adults make it awkward. And I feel the sooner that you can start those conversations with children, the easier it is for everyone And I also think it's really important to have difficult conversations with children early so they hear it from you first. Because the risk you run with children hearing about, you know, difficult topics from other people is misinformation. And it's much harder to correct misinformation than it is to share a little bit of accurate information early. I love how you said that
1: and totally agree with you. I tell parents all the time because they ask me, can I really share this with them? Can I, whatever the situation is, can I really just be honest with them and tell them the truth about it? And I said, you better because kids are brilliant and nature abhors a vacuum and so do brains. So if they sense that there is a missing piece, they're going to fill that in and maybe not in a way that actually benefits them or you in the long run. Um, something else that I would love to hear from you, I did a little research preparing for this interview because I just knew it was going to be an important one and I wanted to get it right. And I read a couple studies and one said that they surveyed adults in the United States and they adults in the U.S. believe that we really shouldn't talk to kids about race until they're five years old or older. And I thought that was fascinating. And then I used what I know from my early child education background and said, but wait a minute, the 85% of brain growth is done by five years old. Mm -hmm. And then I read a third study that said, we can conclusively say that there's an implicit or explicit bias shown by children by five years old. So now my brain's exploding. And I would love for you to make some sense of this in a way that we can we can all move forward and do the best for our kids.
0: Yeah, I think a really popular story that a lot of adults choose to tell themselves that I feel is wildly inaccurate is children are colorblind. They're not. Um, children see colour, children see everything we see, they just don't ascribe judgement to it. And I think that's a really important differentiator. And as you just said, um, brains don't like a vacuum. And so what happens is children notice this difference and the adults don't ever want to address it. And if the children ask a question, the adults like hush them very quickly, or we don't talk about that, or we can't talk about that now. And so in the child's mind, they start to think it must be something problematic if no adults ever want to talk to them about it. But I do think it's um, something that's come up several times in conversation in the past few years about this idealistic view of children being colorblind. And it is wildly inaccurate for all the reasons that you've just mentioned, for all the reasons that I've just mentioned as well. It's also deeply damaging because it's denying the existence of so many people, denying the existence of so many different people of color. And it's also denying the reality of what your child is seeing to deny race.
1: Wow. You have a way of putting things into words. And I totally agree with your editor that allows us to take in this really charged emotional information, but in a way that feels good feels empowering. It feels like we actually can make a difference with this new knowledge. So thank you so much for lifting up your voice for the betterment of all our littles. The book, how did you structure it in such a way that that voice is coming through? It's a board book. It's for really little kids, right? There's processing involved, but it's minimal. Is it the pictures that really tell that big strong story
0: it's both so I did not illustrate the book I am not an illustrator I worked with a really talented illustrator called Keisha Um, so I wrote the book first so the book deal was actually structured on the words alone before an illustrator was brought into the mix and one of the things I knew from the get-go was I really wanted it to be a rhyming book because I remember when my son was really young just how much he enjoyed the lyrical and musical component of rhyming books. It's very sing-songy. It's very easy to read. It's very easy for kids to understand and remember. So that was um, very much the core message of the book. I can share a few pages with you here.
1: Nice.
0: So this was like the line I came up with, like literally when I started thinking about what I wanted the book to sound like, this is the line I came up with, if you want to make a difference, but you don't know where to start, begin by searching way deep down to find what's in your heart. And it's such an easy lyrical line for caregivers and adults and parents to share with children. It's a very easy thing for children to remember as well. And so that was really important to me, really. And my editor had to help me simplify some of the language because some of the words that I went to. She was like, yeah, not really for this audience. We need to pick like more simple words. Um, But we managed to make sure that the words in the book flowed and it kept that rhyming component. And then we also were able to like pepper in what we've called power words. So these are words that you can share with the children that you're reading to and just ask them how these words make them feel. So imagination, love, joy, courage, wisdom, change. And I've done quite a few readings at schools now as well. And it's really fun to read to children when adults aren't in the room (laughs) because they pick up on different things and they interact in different ways. So once we had all the words nailed and the book deal was complete, then we... Lots of work looking for an illustrator. And I was very clear on what I wanted for an illustrator. And my publishers, Simon and Schuster, they were really supportive. So I was like, I want someone black, female, young, bonus points if she's Nigerian, bonus points if this is her first book. And this is exactly (laughs) what I got. And Keisha's half Nigerian, she's young. This was her first book that she's illustrated. And we worked together. Um, just to make sure that the illustration really brought the words to life. So one of the things that she came up with was having this cast of characters that goes through the book. So you've got a redhead, you've got a kid in a wheelchair, um, a Latino kid, black kids, Asian kids. And then you've got like a group of people showing up for protests. It's just, again, different ways in which people can show up, kids cleaning, um, cleaning up a park, and then... more thing i just want to get to which was also really important that i love that she did we've got a left-handed kid and we just felt like having a left-handed kid a redhead um, a kid in a wheelchair. these aren't things that you see very often in children's books. And I think a big part of why this book has resonated with so many people is because it has such a broad base of representation that it just ultimately feels really inclusive. And there's a very strong sense of belonging for everybody that's created when you see that kind of imagery with that kind of lyrical wording. Amazing. Hey, Kara
1: here, just popping in to ask you a quick question. Are you dealing with meltdowns? Of course you are. You're a toddler mom. What if there was a tool that could help you manage your own emotions and triggers better so you can help your child return to center faster inside the meltdown moment? I am so excited to share my free guide with you. I've even recorded audio files, five mindful mantras, for Conscious Moms Managing Toddler Meltdowns. Grab it today with the link in the show notes, then download the audios and manage meltdowns consciously. And now I'll bring you back to the rest of the episode. This is a very timely interview because I had a mom who I was engaging with recently and she was sending me all kinds of ideas. She said, here's things I'd love to you to bring to the show. And something that she said was, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. And now here you are. (laughs) Um, And I wish I had her text in front of me so I could get it exactly right. But she's raising a multi-racial child. And she said, I want to make sure I do it right. I want to make sure that I support both sides of the history and both sides of the culture. And she's a single mom and she's feeling a little bit overwhelmed in that. Are you able to give any words to lift her up or or any advice or any other resources that she can turn to?
0: Um, I would say the fact that she's so aware of it is such a great start point because so many people in similar situations aren't aware and they're not trying because they're just not aware of the fact that they need to. So I think her awareness definitely indicates that she's doing a lot of the right things already and I think just finding materials, you know, so whether it's books, whether it's cartoons, whether it's movies to support both sides or have many different um, elements of your child's identity, finding ways to incorporate it, going to places that incorporate that identity, um, going to different places with different foods that are specific to that identity music. Because I think there's so many different ways that we can incorporate culture and identity into everyday lives. And a lot of them are actually really easy. So like the media we choose to consume, the books we read, the movies we watch, the magazines that we read, um, the images that we look at, and then you can also do it through food. Food is such a fun, easy exploration. It's something that we did with our son when he was younger. We'd be like, pick a country. <laughs> and he's got this like beautiful map on the wall in his room. I grew up obsessed with maps, and I seem to have passed that interest on to him. Um, we'd be like, pick a country, and he'd pick a country. And we'd try and find a restaurant or find like recipes that had food from that country so we could at least like explore. So that's a really easy one. Music is another really easy one. Um, football, soccer. It's such a global Mm sport that can actually be a really good way just to expose children to a little bit of other cultures, just to see how like the different, like, especially around the time of like the World Cup, the Olympics is another one because you have people from so many different places, just seeing different people showing up on a world stage together. I think things like that are really powerful for that reason.
1: Amazing. Thank you for all that. So I really want to wrap this up by sharing a personal story and then tying it into the one that you shared and getting your advice. My kids are 18 and 20. They're older, but when they were much younger and summer came around, we went to the swimming pool. And I'll preface this by saying that we live in rural Vermont. So the diversity in our area is extremely limited. Um, and 15 years ago, it was even more limited than it is now. I'm an extremely perspective-based person and I'm an extremely empathetic human being. And my little girls, one of them at the swimming pool, saw a black family and said, out of curiosity, why is their skin a different color? And it reminded me when you were telling your story about, does she work here, right? The kids are curious. They're going to ask these questions. And the more that we put, information in front of them that's educational, like your amazing book, it's going to continue to pique their curiosity and they're gonna keep asking questions and wanna be part of an engaging conversation with us. In that moment, as a parent, I felt a lot of things, but, oh, my child is curious and would like to know something about the world was not one of them, (laughs) right? I probably didn't handle it very well in that moment. Can you share with us what best practice might be? How should we handle this? I know shushing our kids, you said we're not gonna do that, but what could we say? Because we also don't know how this family, if they hear us, is going to react. And we wanna make sure that we don't inflame a situation.
0: Yeah, that's a really common question. And I think there are so many people with the best of intentions that want to avoid being in that position because it makes you feel awkward. It makes you feel very self-conscious. You just feel like everyone's listening to your response. So the worst response is no response. So let's just be clear on that. If you see something, you have to say something and your kids already addressed it. So you have to respond um take a beat if you need to take a beat take a beat you don't have to respond straight away just say oh give me a minute to think about that and i'll get back to you in two seconds just so you can form a thought kids are fine with that you can also come back to it later if you feel you mess up in the moment but i think the most important thing i can share with those situations you have to get out of your own way in terms of feeling uncomfortable with it because it's not about you so I think that's the most important thing to really incorporate. It's about the potential harm that you could be equipping your kid to do. And I think if you think about it that way, that enables you to get out of your own way because you're like, okay, I don't want my kids to end up being someone with really negative bias towards people of other ways. And therefore I need to give them a decent answer. And it just has to be decent in the moment. You can come back to it later. So I can share an example of um, a situation that I was in with my son. We were in a playground um, and I think he was probably around four at the time. And he came over to me. He was like, oh, mommy, how, how come all nannies are Mexican? And I was like, are they? And he was like, well, yeah. And I was like, okay. What makes you think that? And he was like, Well, you know, it's we're in the playground and there's three nannies over there and they're speaking Spanish. And I was like, Okay, so they're speaking Spanish, means they might be from Mexico, but Mexico is not the only country in the world where people speak Spanish. And you're also just talking about three nannies in this one particular playground. When you think about all the other nannies that we know from so many different countries, does that sound like they're all Mexican? And he was like, Oh, well, no, actually, it doesn't. I was like, Yeah, so do we think all nannies are actually Mexican? <laughs> he was Like "Hmm, no, I was like okay. That
1: sounds like a geometry proof. (laughs) I can wrap my head around that.
0: (laughs) Asking your kid questions is something that a lot of adults seem to be scared to do, but it's the best way to figure out their thought process. It's the only way you can actually understand how they arrived at that thought that is such an interruption to your being. So you just ask them a couple of questions, be like, how did you get to that thought? Be like, okay, let's unpack that a little bit and, uh, help you figure out how to reframe it in a way that's, uh, more logical.
1: What a brilliant takeaway. Yes. Yeah. We respond with emotion because we know what the result of those words can mean, but we don't know how they got there. Kids make all kinds of different assumptions for all kinds of reasons. Wow. And then we get the opportunity to use that moment to then go find the resources that we need to at bedtime the next night, read a beautiful book like yours and say, remember yesterday when we were at the swimming pool? Well, where we live, a lot of people don't have black skin, but in the world, A lot of people do and read the book about it. And there I've repaired my mistake if I made one.
0: Yeah, we all make mistakes. And I think that in and of itself is not the issue. It's how you recover from the mistake. Everybody's going to make mistakes on a daily basis, sometimes, depending on how many different things you try and do. If you're not making mistakes, you're not doing anything new. So, you know, there's that. But I think um, some of the best advice I got in terms of handling tricky conversations with children was actually from Jodie Patterson. And she said that her recommendation is dose and frequency and just adjust it for age to make sure it's appropriate. So if you have a very young child, small doses, very small doses, but keep it frequent enough for them to actually be able to absorb the information. And as children get older, you can have more detailed conversations. And I definitely love like incorporating books to help navigate things that the children might be thinking. And I think just starting with a question, like if they ask you a question, ask them a question right back.
1: That is fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for taking some time to share your vision and your book with us and make sure that everyone who's listening who now wants to go grab a copy and read it to their kiddo knows where to do so.
0: Thank you. So my book is called Your Special Voice and it's available everywhere books are sold. So online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, local independent bookstores across the country.
1: Amazing. Well, here at Core 4 Parenting, our big vision is to raise a new generation of kids that are truly world and school ready. And your lane falls directly in world ready because engaging with each other as human beings is what we are meant to do. Thank you for your work. So grateful for you. Thank you very much, Cara. Until our next episode, stay mindful and proactive as you transform the toddler years.